Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Take your Bibles and open up to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 6. We are entering the last chapter of Galatians, church. Galatians chapter 6. And uh, I'm going to test you guys tonight. I'm not even going to put the letters up here. I'm going to see how well you've learned, okay? And... uh, I have to laugh because at uh we had one of our one of our newer families that came to our business meeting last Sunday and uh he texted me later and he said we pulled into the church and my youngest their youngest is 5 um kind of groaned and he's like oh we have to listen to Matt again I am not saying application <laughs> And I thought oh that's good he's listening this is great Okay, and it's sticking so much so that the five year old's going, I'm not saying this again. So anyway, we've got just a few more weeks, church, and then you're going to just remember it and you won't have to hear me say it again at least every week. I'm sure we'll revisit it again. Okay, so I'm going to count to three. I just want you to speak out the outline that we've been using, the format we've been using. Okay, so one, two, three. Observation, interpretation, application. You guys are going to be pros. You're already doing so well. And uh, I hope you know I've just loved teaching with this format because uh, it's a unique way uh, for you to even see kind of how my brain works as I unpack Scripture and seek to draw Scripture and bring it to you each week, not my own thoughts or opinions or agendas. And that's a really important thing. Church, um, there's going to come a day uh, where I I'm not the one up here. OK, my I am I am a person who is destined at some point uh, in the Lord's timing to step into eternity and someone else will be up here teaching. OK, and it is so crucial that we build a foundation to where regardless of who we have up here, we hold in most importance the authority of Scripture and the Word of God. That's so crucial, church. And you can get a lot of people who are good talkers. And, and, and we don't want people who are just good talkers. We want, we want faithful teachers of Scripture who see this is what's most important because this is what's going to give life. This is what's going to bring lasting life and motivation. Okay? Um, I want to actually start tonight by reading... Um, the last two verses of chapter 5 leading into chapter 6. And the reason I want to do this is because Paul does something really interesting here in kind of setting the tone as he heads into chapter 6. And um, really this week we're going we're gonna to focus on the first 10 verses of chapter 6. But you cannot really grasp the, the importance of this without first seeing what he says in verses 25 and 26. And so in Galatians, um, in Galatians chapter, chapter 5, verse 25 and 26, he says this, If we 
live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, this is really a warning. And it's a warning that if we truly say we live by the Spirit, we also need to keep in step with the Spirit. That is, we need to do what it looks like. Or as we talked about last week, we need to be people who produce fruit of the Spirit rather than the fruit of our flesh. But then in verse 26, he shifts the tone a little bit. And he said, let us not become conceited. And when we think about what it looks like to be conceited, someone who's conceited really just has an opinion of themselves that is vain. It it serves no purpose other than to just have an opinion of themselves. It's puffed up in pride. It is something that is so self-focused, it's false. And what's interesting about that is if we step back a moment and we take a look at why is conceit such a big deal here? And then he goes into even how this impacts one anothering. Is if if we were to really evaluate the root of any relational conflict that we've encountered. At some level or another it most likely comes back to conceit on one side of the aisle or the other. And when we're conceited, we're tempted to go one of two ways. We're either provoking one another or we're envying one another. Why are these so specific? Well, if I'm provoking one another, it's generally because I feel that I am so superior to everyone else that I'm going to prove it. I'm, I am of a, a class that everyone else needs to know how informed I am or how good I am at this. Or in church terms, everyone else needs to know just how spiritual I really am. So I'm going to poke your buttons. I'm going to provoke you. I'm going to push the discussion to a way that kind of elevates my knowledge or my ability to articulate things well. That's what it looks like to provoke one another. But envying one another goes the other way. Envying another goes to the other extreme and says everyone else is so much better than me, is so much more superior than me, that I envy them. Whether that's because of their spiritual life, or their marriage, or their kids, or their job, or their house. You go on and on and on and on. And so Paul is concerned here about an attitude amongst the churches of Galatia that it would not be so conceited. That is, having a false view of themselves one way or the other. Because if I am provoking other people because I see myself as superior, it is false. Everyone say false. It's a false attitude. And if I am on the other end of the spectrum and I am envying everyone else because somehow I don't see myself as good enough, that is false. Everyone say false. It's a false perspective of who I am and who God's called me to be. And so before we move any further, there is an application attitude that is required here 
for us to hear or get anything else out of what's to come in the first ten verses. And it is this. It is an attitude that says, the people around me are of importance in their own right because God made them in His own image and Christ died for them. And it is my joy and privilege to serve them. The reality is, church, if we can't adopt this attitude and this mindset, then we, we don't move past here, okay? So I start this way because for some of you, this may be all you need to hear the rest of tonight. This may be the challenge that you just need to sit with and let it soak in. And if that's the case, praise be to God. And may the Spirit of God challenge you with this main application in your life, okay? But to ingrain it even a little bit more, here's what I want us to do. I'm gonna, I want us to just speak this out directly, corporately, okay? Because this attitude, this mindset is the opposite of being conceited. And we're gonna see why that's the case and why this attitude is so important to the first portion of Galatians 6. So, I'm gonna count to three. I just want us to read this out loud together, okay? And then I'm going to pray for us as we dive into Galatians 6 and seek to navigate this well. Okay? So let's read this together. One, two, three. The people around me are of importance in their own right because God made them in His own image and Christ died for them. And it is my joy and privilege to serve them. Father, may this be the attitude of our hearts. And as your church, may you help us to dig deep and evaluate if, in fact, this is the attitude that we approach this. God, may you remove barriers that would keep us from producing the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, open our eyes and help us to see how to do this well as your people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's look at uh, Galatians chapter 6. And we're going to look at the first Couple of we're going to take kind of two verses at a time, sometimes maybe a little more than that. And as we go through this, there's one main observation I want you to keep track of. And we're going to I'm I'm going to walk you through each portion of this. But I want you to keep track of where do you see Paul exhorting or commanding the churches in Galatia to something specific? And you're going to come up with quite a few if you're if you're watching and making notes, okay? So look for exhortations, and we're going to draw those out. So here's the verse 1, okay? Just verse 1 of Galatians 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. All right, how many exhortations do you see there specifically? What do you see? An observation. Two. Good. The first one is you restore him. And you speaking of who? We're in English class now, church. Brothers. And the brothers are indeed you who are spiritual. 
should restore him and him ask, should cause you to ask a question. What's the question you should ask when you go restore him? What question should we ask? Who, who am I called? Who am I? Who, who is the churches in Galatia called to restore? And the result is anyone caught in any transgression. Everyone say anyone. I don't like that. I really don't because it opens the door. OK, I would like this as a human being in my flesh a lot more if it said brothers if your friend is caught in any transgression, you are a spiritual restore him. Or brothers, if your family member is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual restore him. Or maybe some of you are going, no, 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 I don't want to do that to any of my friends or family. So brothers, if any stranger, you fill in the blank, okay? But it's not that. It's if anyone is caught in any transgression, and that's a big word for sinful behavior. Anything that doesn't bring glory to the name of God, you or our spiritual should restore him. Now, it doesn't end there, church. You should restore him. How? In a spirit of gentleness. That's hard. Especially if it's someone who's done something that just really gets under your skin. Or that you really don't agree with. That is hard. Not the restore part, maybe, but it's usually not with a motive to restore, but it's usually with a motive going back to conceit, right? I'm going to prove to you that you're wrong and I'm right. And when you realize that you're wrong and I'm right, then we'll talk about restoration. But Paul has just called the churches in Galatia not to be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. But instead, brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you guys who are spiritual, you who hold the hope of the gospel, you who are free in Christ, restore that person in gentleness. Now, the second exhortation here, keep watch. Keep watch on yourself. Why? Lest you too be tempted or fall into temptation. Now, the truth here, church, if we were to parallel this with another passage of Scripture, you might find 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which many people quote, which says, No temptation is overtaking you except what is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able. But when you are tempted, He will always provide what? A way of escape. When we face something like this, when we face temptation, and James talks about the book of James talks about this, no one should ever say that God is tempting me because God, God doesn't tempt nor is he tempted. Instead, I need to keep watch. That's an active, an active thing here. Okay, I'm not passively going to keep watch like, okay, I'm going to kind of set up some parameters or some, some guardrails or some boundaries. This is an all the time, every day, and specifically, 
as I'm seeking to restore those who are caught in transgression, I need to keep watch on myself so that I don't fall into the same patterns of temptation that whoever I'm restoring is in. I have to be active in this. I want to say active. This cannot be something that we sit idly by and hope that I don't fall into temptation. You will be tempted. The question is whether or not you will see the way of escape that God has already promised will be there. And how am I going to see that? How am I going to take careful note that I don't fall into that? I'm going to keep watch. So there's two exhortations there. Restore those caught in sin. Keep watch on yourself. Now let's look at the next couple of verses. That was just verse 1. Okay? Hang on. Here we go. Verse 2 of chapter 6. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Now, there's a couple of things we want to note here. First off, we want to note exhortations. There's one right off of the bat. Bear one another's burdens. Or if you want to state the exhortation, it's bear, bear what? Burdens of whom? One another. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Paul's talked a lot about the law of Christ. And in fact, going back even to 514, he says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he is following that same train of thought when he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It parallels perfectly with Galatians 5.14. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Then there's a second exhortation. Let each one test his own work. Now, What's interesting about this first exhortation, church, bearing one another's burdens, is it requires two things. First, it requires that people be willing to share their burdens. And there is a couple of big things that I have learned over almost eight years in full-time ministry. And one of those is, generally, there's not a lack of people willing to walk alongside struggling individuals. But there is a whole lot of people who do not want to struggle in community. We don't want to share our burdens. And it's rooted in a lot of different things. But mostly, it's rooted in conceit. It's rooted in our own self-concept that if I share my burdens somehow, then everyone's going to know that I'm not who maybe I've revealed myself to be. Or if I share my burdens, then maybe I have to get off of where I thought I was and actually bring myself to a, a humble place. And so we don't. We, we don't share our burdens. We don't. We aren't honest about struggles and about burden, things that are weighing us down. We, we put on a face. We come into church. And man, life is good. Church, 
church, it's impossible for us to live this out if we are not only actively seeking to care for the burden of others, but also being willing to share where we're most burdened. And I know and recognize that this is a hard concept because many of you have experienced broken trust and people you've shared burdens with only to be stabbed in the back or have that burden shared somewhere it shouldn't have been. But don't let someone's wrong handling of your burden keep you from sharing that with a community and a family because we need each other. There's a reason Paul is exhorting the churches in Galatians here to bear one another's burdens. He's not going to exhort them to that if it's not needed. Church, it is needed. Now what's interesting too here and, and many, if, if, you're, if you're observing, you will notice this, and you might, it should raise your, raise your yellow flag or your red flag, whichever one you're going to raise. It says, bear one another's burdens, and yet verse 5, what does it say? For each will have to bear his own load. Now this is one of those places in Scripture that we should stop, everyone say stop, and we should think about this. Which is it, Paul? You just said to bear each other's burdens, and now you're saying everyone's responsible for his own load. Two completely different words. Okay? Some English translations translate both of these burden. I'm thankful that the ESV translation translates them differently because they're two completely different words. One is baros, and one is uh, fortune. And the word baros for burden means a weight or a heavy load. And the word for load in verse 5 really just means like a man's pack, okay? His own, his own sack or his own pack that he's carrying with him. So what is Paul trying to communicate here about bearing one another's burdens, about bearing your own load? Where, where is the balance here? What it comes down to, church, is really found in the middle. If anyone thinks he is something, he is nothing and he deceives himself. Each one of us needs to test our own work and then our reason to boast will be in ourselves alone and not in his neighbor. No one is stepping into heaven because they bore the burden of someone else. Every single one of us, when we stand before God in judgment, what will be laid on the table is not what you bore of someone else's burden, but it is your own load in which you bring before God and you say, this is why I deserve to step into eternity. And we know, based on Paul's previous comments here, that it is faith. Faith is the only way. Faith in Christ and what He has done is the only way we step into eternity. When we stand before God, our neighbor's burdens have no bearing upon what He will say in response to us. But in this interim time, church, as we bear our own load and understand what Christ has done for us, we strive to bear the burdens of other people because we get it. And man, every one of us is burdened with something right now. And the beautiful portion of the church is that at the end of the day, I know 
that someone else is struggling or has struggled with the same thing I'm struggling with. That's what 1 Corinthians 10 promises. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. One of the greatest lies and deceptions of the enemy is to make you think you're alone in what you're burdened with. You're not. And the exhortation is that we bear one another's burden. That we don't use that as an excuse to puff ourselves up and return to an attitude of conceit. And that we don't see that as how we're going to get into eternity. But we test our own work so that our reason to boast is most specifically in who is in us. Who is working in us. The reason we are set free. And that's because of Christ. Not because of us. Restore those caught in sin. Keep watch on yourself. Bear one another's burdens. Test your own work. Let's look at verse 6. I love this verse. I love this verse. Okay? It's one of the few verses in Scripture that has application directly to you as the church when it comes to my role as your teacher. Verse 6, there's one exhortation. It's very clear. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Why is this important? Why is Paul bringing this up? Because, church, I'm telling you that when we can not only share each other's burdens, but share how God is growing us, that's what makes us a community. That we all see each other, not as you you aren't measuring up here, but rather, man, you're at this point in your journey, and you're right alongside other people that are kind of at this point in their journey, but none of us are at the level of Christ yet. So we get the opportunity to do this together over and over and over again. And I like this because I can come to you and say, church, it's biblical for you to share with me how God's growing you through His Word. I love to hear what God is doing in your lives when you open Scripture, when you hear the Word of God taught and you come to me and you say, Matt, I, I just, this is, this is totally transformed how I think about this. Or, Matt, the, the scripture that you're reading on Sunday or on Thursday, I, I, w- I was in the midst of this situation and I instantly just felt like God is speaking to me. Those are the, the emails, the phone calls, the letters. I'm going to tell you, church, I save all of them. Why? Because I'm going to tell you, when I am having a day where things just feel burdened and heavy, I remind myself of the most powerful entity that we can root ourselves into because this, this transforms lives. It does. And every one of us who has believed in the name of Jesus to be saved has a story of how this has transformed us in some way or another at some point in our lives. So, Galatians 6.6 6, Don't be hesitant to share with me how God is transforming you. It's so encouraging, church. And I know He's doing it. Even if you don't see it yet, when you do, come tell me and I'm going to celebrate with you. Okay? Share all good things with the teacher. By the way, that goes for anybody who teaches you the Bible. We are are blessed here to have multiple people that exposit God's Word. And uh, I love that. So be sure and share those things with your teachers. Verse 7. 
Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Now, there's one specific exhortation here, and it's very direct. Do not be deceived. Why would I be deceived? Well, if we look at the rest of this, apparently some people, specifically in the churches of Galatia, were under the threat of being deceived that God somehow wasn't really going to notice what they were sowing into. I love these types of illustrations because having grown up in rural Illinois on the farm, it's really easy for me to picture what Paul's talking about here. Church, if you plant a corn seed in the ground, it's going to produce corn. If you plant a bean seed in the ground, it's going to produce beans. If you put a potato in the ground, it's going to produce potatoes. If you put flower seed in the ground, it's going to produce flowers. I could go on and on and on. The truth in this. If you sow in your own flesh, don't be surprised when you reap, when you grow that which is rooted in your flesh. This goes back to Galatians 5. What fruit is being produced? Well, whatever fruit you sowed in the ground is what's being produced. And the thing that baffles me most about this church is when we see something in our life that is producing not what we want it to produce, our tendency from the very beginning of time is to blame someone else. Adam did this. God, is this woman? No, Adam. You ate the fruit. Each one of us is responsible for what we are sowing in the ground we are given right now. And right now, as you sit here, you are sowing a seed that is either of the flesh or it's of the spirit. It can't be both. Okay? And at any given point in a day, we are throwing out seeds. And we are either throwing out seeds of the flesh or seeds of the spirit. And some of us end up with a lot of weeds. Okay? Now, going back even to Galatians 5, weeds in my garden is not a reason to become conceited and envy someone else's. Okay? But it is a reason for me to test my works. To not be deceived and think that somehow God is mocked or he's oblivious to this reality that whatever I sow, that which I'm going to reap. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Do not be deceived. Now, there's one more exhortation here in all of this. Okay? In verses 9 and 10, he says, And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household 
of faith. Now I'm going to summarize kind of two exhortations into one. It's simply do good to everyone. Do good to everyone. In the midst of this, he says, don't grow weary of doing good. You know what this means? It's a lot easier to sow weeds than it is to grow fruit. And anyone who gardens would tell you that's the truth. You don't have to do anything to take care of your weeds. You really don't. Or if you've ever experienced, uh, have you ever experienced those surprise lilies that grow up? You just can't get rid of them? Doesn't matter what you do, you could throw them in a ditch and they'll grow. They don't need anything. Those should be considered a weed. It's my opinion. But in all reality, okay, it's a lot easier to sow those things of my flesh than it is to sow that which is of the Spirit. And so when it comes to sowing the seeds of the Spirit, those are those good acts that are painful. That's when you reach out and you shake someone's hand that you really have a hard time with or who's hurt you. That's when you step out of your comfort zone and you do a kind act for someone who's spoken badly about you. It's when you go the extra mile for your spouse who's just been in a bad mood today. It's sowing that which is of the Spirit which ultimately recognizes that in the same way everyone around me is someone who is made in the image of God and who God gave His Son for, that I'm going to seek to see them in the same light. It is hard and it is painful and it's a lot easier to sow those weeds. I'm just going to snub you. I don't want anything to do with you. You are over here on this side of things, so you know what? Forget it. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to circle myself with an echo chamber of people who agree with me because, here's the conceit, We've got it figured out and you don't. So church, don't grow weary of doing good. It can become really tiresome. But the one who sows in the Spirit over and over again, ultimately, you're going to reap a harvest. But that harvest may not be here. You need to know that. You may not reap the fruit of that crop until eternity. But it'll be worth it. I promise you it'll be worth it. So I want to leave you with three specific application questions as Paul wraps this up with this illustration. Okay? Really simply put, where will you sow? What will you sow and when will you do it? At the end of the day, this is a question only you can answer. None of us can look at what you're doing and go, well, this is what they've decided to do. But chances are, the fruit you produce is going to reveal where you've sown. Where will you sow? Every one of you right now has been given a spiritual garden. If you are have breath in your lungs right now, you are a spiritual gardener. For those of you who don't like gardening, I'm sorry, that's just the illustration Scripture uses. And the reality is, whether you realize it or not, you're walking around, you're sowing seeds. Everywhere you go, in your home, as a parent, 
as a spouse, at your job, at the store, anywhere you are at, your garden goes with you. Anywhere you have influence, there's soil that is ripe to be sowed in. Where will you sow? Where will you plant seeds? What will you sow? That's the question Paul asks. It's either of the flesh or of the spirit. And when are you going to do it? What I want you to realize is you're already doing it, whether you realize it or not. Church, let's not be a people group who is conceited and wrapped up in ourselves so much so that we don't see where the burdens of others are. Where we don't rise up and walk alongside those who are burdened. Two, do good to everyone we come into contact with to sow seeds of the Spirit and ultimately, church, to produce the fruit that comes from the Spirit of God. I pray that we can join each other in this challenge to be honest about where we're at and to pursue all that God has for us. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to come. We're going to sing one more song together. And as they do that, let's pray and commit this to the Lord. Father, we commit this to you and we pray that you would help us to see specifically how we answer these three questions, God. Um, Help us to know when we are sowing weeds in places where we should be sowing fruit. God, help us to see our own flesh for what it really is. And ultimately, that we would shift our focus and our perspective. Lord, I humbly ask that you build us to be a church who is not conceited. Who doesn't provoke or envy each other, but Lord, simply serves our community out of a humility and a recognition of what you've done for us. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.